loving Father, thank you that we can gather this morning. Uh, please inf- feed and nurture us by your word. Uh, show us our need for Jesus. Uh, show us the glory and wonder that is your Son. And lead us in the way of repentance and faith and even holiness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, We continue our series in the book of uh, Leviticus. Uh, Today is the last last, uh, sermon in this series uh, before we move on to other things. And we're in Leviticus 16. If you had a marker in Hebrews, please keep it there. We'll be turning there in a moment. That'll be helpful. Uh, The coronavirus is getting a lot of attention and thank you for your patience uh, as we navigate that. Uh, Of course, the cool kids dismissed it as hype, didn't they? And the panic merchants, we we know what the panic merchants did. They bought toilet paper and lots of it. Uh, Wouldn't it be nice if you could just do a broad strike measure and destroy all of it in one go? Uh, Colin Buchanan, if you know him, he sings this. The baddest sickness in the world is sin. Every single heart has got it in. Uh, The world's single biggest problem, the greatest problem, is of course sin. Uh, How do we know that? Well, the book of Leviticus has reminded us that God is a holy God. And we've continued to ask, how will this holy God live with his people? who are sick with sin. Especially when God commands then and today that we're to be holy because God is holy. If only sin might be dealt with once and for all, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 to 2. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. As soon as we hit verse 1 of chapter 16, there's that story again about Nadab and Abihu. Their unauthorised fire when they were consumed. And if you fell asleep in chapters 11 to 15, (laughs) uh, then this verse, verse 1, is sure to wake you up. Because again, we are taken back there and reminded that the holiness of God is a serious thing. It is daunting. It is life-threatening and complicated. But of course, yes, there's blessing as well. Maybe the holiness of God, as we think about it, I wonder if it's a bit like women. Can't live with them, can't live without them. I'm saying I had four sisters, I'm not talking about tenure at all. But you get the sense of it, don't you? And, And yeah, okay, we could say the same about the blokes. Some people are can't live without some people, can't live with some people. It's true. And maybe the holiness of God is a bit like that. 
What follows in verses 6 to 7 is like the TV guide uh, for the rest of the chapter. Verse 6, Aaron will sacrifice a bull for his own offering uh, to make atonement for himself and his household. That's part one of the drama. And then there's a story of two goats. So verse 7, he takes uh, the two goats to present them before the Lord. Verse 9, one goat is sacrificed as a sin offering for the people. And then what happens to the other goat in verse 10? The goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. And what is all this about? Well, verse 29, it's always good to get a summary verse. Verse 29 tells us, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or foreigner, residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves it is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and for all the members of the community. Verse 34, this is a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made. That word atonement appears 52 times in the book of Leviticus. It's a key point, 18 times in this chapter alone. And what does atonement mean? Well, we've been saying atonement means to be at one with God. It's to have at one with God. Verse 30 says it's a cleansing day where people are cleansed of Sin, where sin is dealt with comprehensively, and so because that's true too, it's a day they can also rest in God. It's a bit like an annual spring clean. We had people busy in the hall yesterday, giving the hall some love, giving it lots of elbow grease. But this is a spiritual event. All right, We're not getting the Kleenex out here. This is a relational thing between Israel and their God. Now, we don't hear the word atonement much these days uh, unless you're listening to Ray Warren call the football. He can use religious language from some, sometimes and, and I've heard him use the word atonement or, or the player atoned for their mistakes. So take, for example, Mitchell Moses, the halfback for the Eels. He makes a mistake. He makes lots of mistakes, let's be honest. And he might have cost his team the game. You can imagine that. And what does Mitchell do? He hangs his head in shame. And at this point, lip reading isn't really that difficult. But then five minutes later, it's like the parting of the sea. As Moses makes a break, he scores a try, he wins the game. And what does Ray Warren say? He's made atonement for his sins. He's made amends. His past mistakes are atoned for. They're covered over. 
But here, in, here is the thing in Leviticus. Atonement is made for you, not by you. It's an important difference. Atonement is made for you, not by you. As we read Leviticus, we're not reading about the way the Israelites atoned for themselves. This is not how about, that, how they, about how they somehow made up for their wrongs and their sins. It's not like you cost your team and say, now you need to go and score the winning try. Uh, that is not God's way. Uh, you don't get to atone for yourself. You don't get to score the winning points or somehow climb into God's good books. You don't get to make up for being bad by somehow being good. It's not how it works. Atonement happens the way God prescribes. And the way he prescribes it is found here in chapter 16. Verse 2, you don't come through the curtain on my terms lest you die. Unless you do it this way, unless it is on the terms he outlines with a young bull for a sin offering and the two goats. And all this is going on on behalf for the worshipper, for the Israelite, for you. And so they're seeing God's gracious provision played out for them. Can you imagine you're watching from outside the tent, you're standing under the sun with the rest of the Israelites, and Aaron, your high priest, he brings in the bull and he cuts its throat, and it falls in a heap to the ground. And he does it to make atonement for himself and his household. And then there's a hush. Because verse 12 says he takes a censer full of burning coals and he puts it in two handfuls of finely ground incense. Verse 13 says he'll do that so that he will not die. Because we know how that rolled in chapter 10. And you're there, you can smell the sweet smell of the smoke. And Aaron steps forward, he's got one hand, he's got some blood from the bull on his fingers. On the other hand, he's got the incense. And you're holding your breath as he steps through the forbidden curtain into the most holy place. And what are you thinking at this point? Maybe you're thinking, gee, I hope he's got life insurance. Gee, I hope we see Aaron again. You might be thinking that. And then Aaron reappears and the crowd maybe sighs with relief. And then he's got the two goats in verse 15. And he slaughters one as a sin offering for the people, for you the worshipper. And he's back behind the curtain again and he's sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice. And he's going through all of this so that the priesthood is cleansed so that the community is cleansed, and more, verse 20, so that the most holy place is cleansed, the tent of the meeting as well, the tabernacle and the altar, they all need to be cleansed. Now this is comprehensive, a comprehensive spiritual cleanup, if you like. And why do they need to do this? Verse 16, they need to do this because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Because of their sins of 
commission, the sins that they know about, but also the sins of omission, the ones that they're blind to, that they do uh, anyway. Same for us. And their sin, it, it pollutes everything that they come near. And so can you see the day, the annual day of atonement, it is like this once a year thing and it puts a blanket over sin, the sin of Israel. And it's comprehensive. It's like a broad strike, such as God's gracious provision. And of course, today, as we approach Easter, today we know the cross of Christ is God's ultimate victory over sin and death. The baddest sickness in the world is sin. Every single heart has got it in. You've got to come to Jesus. He's the only one who heals us. Yes, the baddest sickness in the world is sin. That's a bit more Colin. If you're not up to speed with Colin, you haven't lived. Ask my children. Romans chapter 3.25 says that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so we join the dots, don't we, from the old to the new. And we see again that it is Christ that deals with our sin. It is Christ that gives us at one with God. Or Hebrews 9, if you heard Hebrews 9 read out for us just a moment ago uh, before. Hebrews 9 says that when Christ came, uh, can you see verse 11, if you've got it there? Christ came as a high priest of, of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, the one not made with human hands, that is, to say, the one that is not part of this creation. And how did he do it? How did Jesus, Christ, enter uh, this tabernacle? Uh, did he do it by the means of blood and goats? Verse 12, no. He did not do it that way. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. He is the high priest that sheds his own blood once and for all. Today, it is Jesus that makes us at one with God. And so that Hebrews 9 verse 14, if that is true, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? so that we may serve the living God. Here we have cleansing. Here we have forgiveness. Forgiveness is available for whatever we have done. See, you can't make atonement for yourself by being hard on yourself or punishing yourself. It's not through merit or performance. No, it's through Jesus our atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice that takes your sin upon himself. Jesus pays for your sin. He wipes it clean. Whoever you are, forgiveness is available. Whatever you've done, 
Forgiveness is available and it is free and gracious and it is all part of God's kind, kind provision. And it means you can walk out of here today with a clear conscience, clean and clear. Because on that once and for all day of atonement, on a cross outside of Jerusalem, the Son of God did all of that for you. He did all of that for you. And our response is, well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And we'll come to the table in a moment and we'll remember that. But what about the second go? Well, this is where you're really going to need to think. Because the scapegoat is released. And back in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21, it says that all the sins of Israel, all of their rebellion and wickedness is laid on the goat's head. And then the goat is cast out of the camp. It runs. And maybe it's a lesson again to see what God does with sin. The first goat that died, it reminds us that the wages of sin is death, right? As, as we see the sacrifice, bloodshed, that's the cost. But this second goat adds another dimension to God's treatment of sin, I think. His sin is put on the goat and then the goat is banished. It is cast out of the camp and in casting out of the camp, it's cast out of God's presence. Now, does that remind you of anything? Is there a story in the Bible where we see sin that then leads to banishment? Now, can you imagine, think, think, can you imagine if Adam and Eve were sitting here this morning, they'd be going, yep. Hello, we know about that. That was us. We're in Eden. We sinned. And we were cast out of God's presence. Oh yeah, they get the goat for sure. Or can you imagine the nation? Can you imagine Israelites sitting here this morning? And they go, yeah. Yeah, guilty, that was us too. We were in God's place, the promised land. <laughs> we didn't get kicked out once. We got kicked out twice. And then it got so bad that God himself left. That's bad. Oil and water doesn't mix. And our holy God and sin cannot share the same space. And so it is cast out. It is removed. It is gone. Now with those pictures in your head of the goat and Adam and Eve and Israel, what about Jesus? What about the Holy One of God? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that he who was without sin became what for us? He became sin for us. All our guilt was loaded upon him to bear, cast out and forsaken so we need never be. Hebrews Chapter 13. If you're a good Bible flicker, please turn there. We're going to finish here, I promise. Hebrews 13. And this is worth the look. 
as we remember Jesus, the sin bearer. Hebrews 13, verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. Okay, we get that. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. See, outside the camp is a a garbage dump of carcasses. Outside the camp, no one's singing. They're just mocking the dead. Maybe birds are picking at bones. Can you imagine the stink? Hear the moans of the dying, begging for the end. And Jesus, he's on a cross outside the camp. And at this point now, maybe we're going, what on earth is he doing there? Verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Jesus' body is crucified outside the camp. Do you see that? Jesus is cast out at the garbage tip. He's among the corpses and the carcasses where he carries away the sins of us once and for all. He carries it away never to return. Jesus is our scapegoat. Absolutely. And why does he do it? Can you see the why? This is so important if we're to understand Leviticus today. He does it to make people holy through his blood. You want to know about holiness? We get holiness through the blood of Jesus. He does it to make us right with God. He does this so that we can have peace with God. Which means that you don't make yourself holy. Jesus makes us holy by his blood. And what is our response? Can you see verse 13 of Hebrews 13? Let us then, here's the invitation, then go to him outside the camp. Go to the cross of Christ. And as we go to him, we identify him. What do we do? We bear the disgrace he bore. That's incredible. As we identify with Jesus, we carry his stigma, if you like. We go to the cross and we carry this disgrace in our workplaces, in our families. In our community, no truer word was spoken today. 20 years ago, we wouldn't understand that. What do you mean it's a disgrace to be a Christian, Adam? Oh, no, we get it today. We get it today because we're on the outside. And that's not so bad for us. We say the cross was for me, that Jesus died for me, that he died as me. That he bore my guilt and my shame. And so now we bear this disgrace as followers of the cross. Now isn't that some kind of shock right now? See, where do we find God's holy people gathered? God's holy people, his special people, people set apart from him. Do we find God's holy people Hanging out with the morally upright, beside the sacred, with the religious elite, the shiny, the polished, the rich, the articulate, the esteemed, 
with its traditions and regulations and impressive buildings inside the camp? Is that where we find them? Strolling the hallowed temple grounds of Jerusalem? Not at all. The book of Hebrews will have none of that. Where are they? Do you see them standing at the garbage tip outside Jerusalem? Where Jesus is hanging. There'll be sinners. People hungry for forgiveness. Standing at the cross where the Son of God died. Now made holy by his blood. God's holy people are those who have come to him now in Christ through the disgrace of his cross. Do you see the monumental change in things here in the scriptures? You don't get holiness from a building. You don't get holiness from the institution or some sense of religiosity. You get holiness from Jesus. The person and work of Jesus himself and nowhere else. And so God's holy people cling to the cross outside the camp. And so it begs the question, where are we today? The holy people of St. Augustine's. Do we think we're doing the religious thing at the temple here this morning? Does getting our fill of religion make us holy somehow? Uh, you'd be wrong. Or have you gone to Jesus outside the camp? Have you put your sin at the foot of the cross and found love and forgiveness there? And to your great surprise, Holiness. You found holiness there as well. See verse 15 of Hebrews 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice, not of animals here. This is a sacrifice of praise. See what the holy people do. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name we're not embarrassed not ashamed but willing to bear the disgrace by openly sharing Jesus with others the holy people of God profess Jesus as king and saviour such that we even sing about it. so who did we share Jesus with this week or who will be sharing Jesus with this week in the next seven days ahead? Are you bearing his disgrace? Are you bearing the stigma of being a Christian? Willingly as you bear witness to him. Verse 16. What else do we do? The other sacrifice we make is not forgetting to do good and not forgetting to share with others. For such sacrifices, there it is again, God is pleased. See, why aren't we afraid? Why do we bear the shame? Verse 14, because we're looking for the city that is to come. Where God's dwelling place is now among his people. 
and he will dwell with them. And we will be his people, and God himself will be our God. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death, no more mourning, crying or pain. Because the old order of things has passed away. God commands, be holy for I am holy. And in Jesus, you can know that we are. Amen.